Real estate is a living, breathing organism. It's not just, your job is not done once you buy it. Your job only starts once you buy it. You have to love it, flat, look after it, take care of your tenants. It's a real operating business. It's a real humanistic building. Let's get ready to scale. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for yet another episode. I am very excited to introduce you to our guest today, Henry Stimler. Henry is the Executive Managing Director at Newmark, and if you're not familiar with Newmark, they are a leading real estate transaction advisory firm. Lots of knowledge to be gained from him. Prior to Newmark, Henry actually founded London Green Capital, a firm that focused on debt origination. He is uh, this very interesting fun fact. He is fluent in English, Hebrew, and Yiddish. He has a degree in finance from the University of Westminster and a master's degree in European history from the University College London. And he's coming to us today from Miami. So Henry, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolute pleasure. All right. So Henry, I'm very excited to have you on the show. You have insight into a lot of the behind the scenes action that goes on within real estate. And I'm really curious to hear your opinion on a lot of different things. So I'm just going to go ahead and jump right on in if that's fine. Go for it. Awesome. All right. So for starters, I actually had an investor recently email me a question saying that, you know, an area that he felt he could improve upon as a limited partner, as a passive investor, is understanding deal structure better and being able to really appreciate the risk that are associated with how deals are structured when it comes to the debt, specifically bridge debt versus fixed debt covenants and how that impacts rate caps. So really, I'm sure that you can speak to that with even more expertise than I can. So how would you answer that question for him? So it's all a function of the timing of the market. So a year ago, if you'd asked me that question, I'd say that your risk is limited. You can take a bridge loan, buy a rate cap and uh, do the work on the property. And then once you've pushed NOI, go back to an agency lender to take out your bridge loan. Fast forward to today, I would say don't touch a bridge loan for no love of money. And if you bought with a bridge loan a few years ago and you bought a low cap rate deal, you may be in for a little bit of hurt and pain. In today's market environment, I would strongly recommend taking long-term fixed rate finance because the floating rate options is just too dangerous. We've seen SOFA start at 10 basis points to be close to five today, which is a massive jump and a massive delta. And then on top of that, the bridge lenders are much more expensive than the agency lenders. So don't take the risk. Be safe, be able to sleep at night, know what your costs are. Don't be exposed to variable floating rate loans. Take fixed rate interest, take fixed rate loans, be it five year, seven year, 10 year. I don't know if you want to take 10 year money today because we are in a very high interest rate environment. The Fed have done numerous rate hikes to stop to tame inflation. Uh, the both previous administrations and this administration gave out way too much money, printed way too much money during COVID. So now they're trying to deal with that and pull the freight train back. So today, take fixed rate five to seven years will be better than 10 year and understand that you don't, you can sleep at night, you know what your fixed costs are. Saying that, talking about covenants, talking about rate caps. So with a bridge lender, and you'll, you'll chime in if I'm going on too long or getting too technical. Oh, the yeah. bridge loans are typically three years plus one plus one extensions. You have two one-year extensions to your bridge loan. 
But in order to get your bridge loan to give you those extensions, you have to meet certain covenants. Meet your DSCR, your cash flow, your current, your, your, your a new rate cap. So a lot of those covenants, in, if you bought two years ago, you took a bridge loan, you put on your rate cap, and now it's year three at year three. In order for you to get your extensions, you have to meet those covenants. And I would say that most of those properties today do not meet those covenants very simply because of where cap rates were 12 months ago to where cap rates are today. So the covenants that you signed or you thought you'd be able to meet, you're pretty much not going to be able to meet unless you've achieved incredible rent growth and your property is cash flowing like crazy. But in most cases, when you bought that property two years ago, you bought it when SOFA was at an all-time low, 10 basis points. SOFA has gone from 10 basis points to close to 5%. So what you're mostly doing, what we're seeing, is most of the guys that did bridge loans are now just paying all the money from the property to keep current and keep the loan current rather than have the loan go into default. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And to even just say it in a little bit more plain English, uh, just for those that really want to understand this, essentially, when you secure a bridge loan, there are terms and conditions, and these are what the covenants are. There are terms and conditions that you have to meet in order to even be able to extend it. So if you get a bridge loan for three years, but you do not meet the terms of that covenant, then they're not going to extend the loan and you're going to go into default. So Correct. just very clear, that's what we're all talking about when we're throwing around all these fancy finance terms, right? Correct. Correct. And you don't have those covenants with a seven-year, 10-year fixed rate loan. You could just hum along, hopefully the property works well, you're working the property, you're doing what you need to do to push revenue, you, you're not exposed to covenants, you're going to keep on getting those terms, because the day you sign the loan, you have seven or 10 or five years, and you don't have to fulfill any covenant, you just have to pay your mortgage payment. So as long as you do that, no one's going to take the loan from away from you. Exactly. Thank you very much, Henry. I knew you would explain it uh, with great expertise. All right. So, Henry, now let's talk about interest rates and the impacts that interest rates in, basically have on cap rates and the effect that cap rates have on the valuation of a property. So can you please explain the relationship for investors on how those intertwine? Sure. Very, very simple. And, and you see it every day right now. When interest rates are low, typically cap rates are low because you can borrow very cheap money, buy the property, have positive leverage. So that drives tighter and tighter cap rates, which we've seen in certain markets. Austin, deals were trading at two, two and a half caps a year ago. Dallas, three caps. The Carolinas, three, three and a half caps. So the cheap cost of borrowing, the cheap cost of money causes to be uh, the cap rate to be very tight because you've got such cheap money. But once the cost of capital goes up, it no longer makes sense to buy a three cap. If you're paying 4% or 5% or 6%, you can't buy a three cap deal because you have negative leverage. So in turn, the only way to be able to buy a deal is to have a higher cap rate because your cost of money is more expensive. So as interest rates go up, cap rates go up. And that causes a fundamental shift in the market. So all of a sudden, your property values are changing dramatically. A year ago, your property in Austin was trading at a three cap. Let's give it a round value of $100 million. That was your property. That was the value of your property. Today, that same property is going to trade for close to a five cap. So your value is no longer $100 million. It's much lower than that. So a lot of people are in trouble today or having a little bit of heartburn because they bought, when they bought deals when cap rates were three, three and a half. 
And because the Fed have hiked interest rates so aggressively and rates are where they are today, cap rate expansion has just followed through. So values have changed tremendously as well. So that's the, that's the way it goes when you have a rising interest rate environment. You've got, a, you've got a rising cap rate environment as well. Perfectly said. Thank you very much. It's uh, very helpful. Uh, as I think it's really critical for investors to understand this because ultimately it impacts the value of the property Correct. for the time being, which is not fixed and does actually fluctuate as these other factors fluctuate. I, I always tell people that when they're buying a property, the most important thing is the fundamentals of the property, that it's a Real estate is a living, breathing organism. It's not just your job is not done once you buy it. Your job only starts once you buy. It. You have to love it, flat, look after it, take care of your tenants. It's a real operating business. It's a real humanistic building. So cap rates are very important. NOI is very important. But more important than all of that is know what you're buying. Understand the asset understand the market, understand your tenancy, understand where you can push your NOI. Where, how much more money can you milk from this property? Can you do things to the asset to get more revenue? Can you add amenities? Can you add services? So really understand what you're buying and then everything else will come into play. Perfectly, perfectly stated. And I think it's important for people to understand that the valuation of a property is not going to be determined just simply by the cap rate, but also especially the NOI. Is it a strong and healthy and thriving investment? That is how you can drive up the value of the investment also in, in spite of where we are in the market. Correct. And also, can you run it better? Do you have better people that know what they're doing? Do you have better leasing agents? Do you have better managers? Do you have better people to look after things? Can you run it a little bit tighter than the previous guy? So cutting expenses isn't always giving a, a lesser product. You can cut expenses, run leaner with better people. So it's, it's, it's two factors. It's one, it's about driving revenue, driving NOI, pushing your red roll. But at the same time, it's also about operating and managing your property in a smart, sophisticated way. If you don't have a lot of grass, you don't have a lot of greenery, you don't need six groundskeepers, right? If you've got a, a great person that can lease and is a machine at leasing, you don't need three of those people. It's all about the people that you employ or the, your partners in the property that can help make it a successful investment. Absolutely, Henry. I couldn't say it better. Here at Blue Lake, what we specialize is in, is in value-add strategy. And a lot of times people think that means only going in and doing renovations. And I always try to explain, no, no, there's so much that you can tighten up from an operational standpoint that can really dramatically improve the profitability of the investment and the overall value of the investment. And that's definitely part of value-add is the operations. Correct. Mm -hmm. and you find that a lot when you buy from large institutions. I, I always tell my clients that the, the groups I like to buy from are long-term owners, guys that have owned the property for 20, 30 years because they've already pulled all their cash out of the property. They've refied three times or four times. They're out, right? So they're not going to have the same attention to detail. So long-term owners, there's always a lot of meat on the bone with long-term owners. And then institutional owners, right? Pension funds, uh, large conglomerates, they always run very heavy. That's just the way they are. So a smaller, more nimble operator can come in and operate that same property for a fraction of the cost that the, the, the institution is running for. And there's always meat on the bone, I find, between those two kinds of sellers. Guys who own it for a long time and big institutions.
Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. All right. Now, on that note, let's take the information now that hopefully everyone feels like they understand better when it comes to debt structure and talk about how that's actually impacting transaction volume in the market. So give us just kind of a broad overview of the current capital market and what that is doing to deal flow across the board. Okay. So, so first, let's deal with the mis misnomer that for multifamily, there is no money. That is completely incorrect. There is a glut of money. Why? because we have something very special. We have Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. We have two government-backed programs that bring in more revenue for the government than nearly every other program. The only other thing that brings in more money to the government are taxes. So the second biggest earners, earner for the government is Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, which is there to provide liquidity to the multifamily market in exchange that the sponsor maintains the property and gives a good, good quality of life to their tenants. That's the that's what they want. That's what Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae want, and that's what they're there to provide. They have an they have an allocation this year of 170 billion dollars. So there's a ton of money for good deals. So Freddie Mac has floating rate loans, fixed rate loans. What has happened though is that the bridge lenders, which made such a huge part of the business a year ago, those guys are either not relevant anymore because they're too expensive, or those guys have pulled back in a very very large way. On top of that, you've had some bank failures, SVP, Signature, that's caused some banks to kind of also creep into their shell, get scared. I wouldn't say like 2008 when they got into the fetal, fetal position and just shut the windows and shut the world out. That's not happening here, but they have pulled back in a very, very big way. But it's okay because transactional volume is down 75%. So transaction volume is way down, but for good deals, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae just makes the most sense. Great spreads, especially if it's mission-driven property, which means it has an affordability component. It's serving a purpose within the community. You can get very, very aggressive pricing from the agencies. And they provide uh, five, seven, and 10-year loans with 30-year amortization. So the agencies are our crown, our shining crown in this business and keep everything ticking over and provide tremendous liquidity to the multifamily space, which, you, which you're not seeing in the office world, you're not seeing in the hotel world. So I always say multifamily is absolutely the best asset class, both because the fundamentals are so strong, everyone needs a place to put their head at night, everyone needs a bed, everyone needs a house, everyone needs an apartment, and also because of the agencies that are there backstopping these loans. Absolutely, I could not say it better. Now, I'm very curious to know what your opinion is of what you expect to happen with interest rates in the next 12 to 24 months. Well, if I had a crystal ball, I knew that. I wouldn't <laughs> be talking to you, obviously. But, but I, I don't know what's going to happen. And it's very, it's very up in the air. You know, the biggest problem we have is, is the fluctuation, is the volatility, is that everything is so tethered to the 10-year treasury, the seven-year treasury, and the movement is so abrupt and so aggressive. So you can put a deal under contract today, right? Say, I'm going to buy this deal, think you're getting, I don't know, five and a half rate, and the treasury will spike 40, 50 basis points, and now your four and a half is 6%. So the volatility isn't helping anybody. It's why transaction volume is so far down. It's why it's kind of fallen off a cliff. Saying that, in terms of the Fed, continuing to push interest rates, I think, and we know this from the Fed speak, is they're going to take a pause right now. They've done seven or eight continuous rate hikes. They, 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 as I said before, they reacted way too slow. They should have done this much earlier, but they've done it now. We've had the seven or eight rate hikes. They, it's caused bank failures. They've kind of pulled back. I don't see any massive more 
rate hikes in the future. In fact, if anything, I would think come the come towards the, the next election, the Fed will pull back on interest rates and maybe cut rates. But it's it, that's not really the problem. The problem is just the movement of the of the indices and moving of the treasuries moving so volatile, volatility, volatile, so back and forth in such massive numbers. Typically, you'd have a spike of five, six basis points. Now you have spikes of 20, 30 basis points, which makes it very hard to buy deals. So you've got to kind of price in when you look at a deal, you've got to give yourself a buffer zone. If the deal is so thin, it only makes sense if the treasury is at 350 and it spikes at 370, it doesn't make sense. Don't buy that deal. Buy deals where you have good cap rates, where you have room, there, there is a movement in the treasury, especially a 30, 40 basis movement treasury, it doesn't kill your cash flow. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. All right. Great. Now, Henry, one of the things I'm also curious about is what you're seeing as far as uh, there's a lot of groups that took out a lot of bridge loans over the last several years, and those are coming due. And there's a lot of talk about this in the media. So I want to know your thoughts on that. But before we do, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Ready to Scale is brought to you by Blue Lake Capital, where we hunt down the best multifamily investment opportunities that we can find and invite investors to join in with us. We target Class B value-add multifamily properties across the Sunbelt. Our CEO, Ellie Perlman, invests a substantial amount of capital into every deal. This means our interests are aligned with yours. If you're an accredited investor looking to expand your portfolio and diversify sponsors, be sure to visit us at bluelake-capital.com. Blue Lake Capital, be bold, be extraordinary, and keep moving forward. All right. So Henry, it's looking like there's a lot of doom and gloom out there, or some would say a lot of opportunity that's going to be coming up. What uh, are you seeing groups doing that are running into this situation where it is time for them to get an extension from the original bridge debt that they got? What are, you, what are they doing? What are you seeing? So I, I'm, I'm generally a very positive person, and I, I don't want to be too draconian and too negative. But some groups are going to have tremendous pain, and that's going to be one of the greatest buying opportunities for guys sitting on capital. So that's just a fact of the matter. And it all depends on how cavalier you were when you bought. So if you bought a three cap in Dallas, if you borrowed 85% LTV, that, that deal is now no, not trading anywhere near a three cap. It's trading for a five cap. Your value is, is way, way down. You're not going to be able to take out your bridge loan. So you're in real trouble, right? So you can do a combination of agency and pref equity, but you're still going to have to cash in a good amount of money to get current. So let's say you have a $100 million loan. Your property is now worth $70 million, let's say. Your, your agency loan is going to tap out at $50 million. So maybe you'll get $10 million of breath equity. But unless you're willing to come in and re-up and put more cash into the deal, most likely you're very much going to lose that deal. And the bank's either going to take it away from you and auction it off. So there's, there's opportunities there. So I find myself now we're one of the most prolific lenders in the multifamily space. Last year, we did close to $5 billion of multifamily loans, be it as an agency lender, be it as a broker to the bridge lenders. My job right now is, is to hold the hand of my clients and, and, and bring them through this dark time. And I just say this, there is always light at the end of the tunnel. There is always, it, it, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn. This will change that we're not in this forever. Interest rates are historically high now. It won't be like this forever. Interest rates will come down. 
So if you can, the most important thing you have to do right now is buy yourself time. Buy yourself time. And how are you going to do that? You're going to do that with open lines of communication with your lenders. Don't hide. Don't bury your head in the sand. Don't be sad and depressed and not want to talk to them. Be upfront. Be forthright. Talk to your lender. Say, I have a problem. Lenders don't want to own properties. That's not what they're there for. They don't want to have keys. They don't want to take auctions. They want to just do good loans and clip a coupon and make their money. So most lenders know this huge tidal wave of defaults is not going to help them. It'll be a disaster for them. So a lot of them will help you. But you have two jobs. One, you have to be communicative. You have to talk to your lenders, talk to your brokers, have them hold your hand through the situation. And two, you really have to focus on the fundamentals of the property. You have to retain your tenancy, keep heads in beds, create a kinship between you and your tenants to stay at the property. Outside of New York, the turnover of a typical property, 300 units plus, is 50%. That's a staggering number that every year, 50% of your tenants are going to pack their bags and move out, meaning that you have to redo the unit, repaint the unit, retenant the unit, refill it, do, do checks, pay a leasing broker. If you can do one thing right now, it's keep your tenants in place, keep your clientele, and you do that by providing good service. If I go onto a website, I see... 50 bad Yelp reviews about this management company that they didn't fix a toilet for four weeks. One, I'm not going to be a lender there because it's just a bad operator. And two, no one's going to want to live in your building, right? So you're not a good operator. You're going to have faith. You're going to fail. So you need to be communicated with your lenders, communicate with your brokers, but most importantly, focus on your asset, really be in it, really know what's going on. Do not be an absentee landlord, be a good steward of that real estate. Excellent. I agree uh, very much. I do not think that lenders want to be multifamily owner and operators by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I'm curious, what type of flexibility are lenders showing to groups in these positions? How are they structuring uh, this, this strategy for, quote, buying time? So it depends on who your bridge lenders are. Obviously, there's always some bad apples. There's always some loan-to-own guys that are licking their chops, thinking, oh, I'm going to own all this real estate for a pittance. So I hope that your guys or your brokers or your lenders are not that tight, but they're obviously there always are. But most lenders are not interested in owning the property. They're more interested in kicking the can down the road. So they'll structure lock boxes to make sure they're current. They'll make sure that the, the fundamentals are good. They make sure you're doing a good job. But if you can access and buy yourself a year or two, then you'll be okay. On, on the flip side, if you are not able to get a longer runway and you need to get out of the deal, your best bet is to structure agency pref, agency and pref equity. And there's a glut of pref equity lenders out there. It means you're going to dilute your current equity, but you won't lose your property. You'll live to fight another day. So you've got to build a cap stack and you can build a cap stack either with senior agency, pref equity, rescue equity, whatever you want to call it. That, that's what you have to do. You have to build a unique and creative cap stack which will allow you to continue operations without choking you to death. So it doesn't help you if you're going to put an agency loan and an 18% pref piece, because you're going to be in the same situation with the, that pref lender. You've got to find the right pref lender, the right rescue capital that will allow you to breathe and function and run the property without you lying awake all night knowing you're going to lose more money, more equity, and you lose your property. So pick, yep. your, pick your, part, your lending partners well. Be smart with your lending partners. So many guys last year, the year before, just were only focused on the most amount of money. And now the chickens come home to roost. 
You took all that money from this guy. You can't pay your debt service. And he's waiting for you to trip up because he wants to take your property and wipe out your equity. So it's not always about the most amount of money. It's not always about giving you the highest leverage. Today, it's about the right partners that are going to work with you to let you get to 20, I would say 2025, 2020, end of 24, when rates will start to come down, I think. Absolutely. The right relationships, the right partners are absolutely critical. It serves everyone's best interest to find a way to make things work out. And, um, you know, I hope for groups in that position that they are able to do that uh, because ultimately no one wants to see a lot of investors getting hurt. Yeah, uh, don't, so hide, don't hide. Mm -hmm. Don't hide. Don't go into a shop. I, I see this so many times, especially guys who have not seen a downturn, especially younger guys who have not been around in 2008 or 92. I'm, I'm I'm not, I wasn't at night, I was in college, but, but 2008 or so on and so forth, you can't hide. You've got to just face it head on. You've got to deal with the problems. You've got to deal with it, with the issues. You have to be brave. You have to have courage and you have to, you have to be able to tell the lenders I'm, I'm in a problem. Work with me, help me out here. Absolutely. And I think it's really great information for passive investors to understand all the dynamics of this, because these are important questions that they can ask their sponsors. If their sponsors are, you know, have paused distributions or have reported to their investors that there's issues, it's a great opportunity as a, as a passive investor to make sure that you're asking your sponsor, have you communicated with your lender? How is your relationship with your lender? Who is your lender? You know, what kind of terms are you guys coming to? It's something very important that I think people need to know in order to protect themselves as we're all, you know, kind of navigating some choppy waters just because of simply where we are in the economy. And, and, and one of the things that we've always done, we're, we're not really equity guys, we're, we're debt guys and investment sale guys. Uh, so we don't really focus on equity. I always say if Newmark is bringing you the property and bringing you the debt, then you have to bring the equity. But on the rare occasions that we have raised equity for groups, it's always been based on how is their reporting? How is their communication? How do they talk to their investors? And if we see a good, clean bill of health that these guys are very communicative, their reporting is top notch. They have login portals where you can see the red roll, you can see every newly signed. Those are the type of guys that we feel comfortable raising equity for. All right. Very good to know. Uh, thank you. It's very insightful information. And I hope those of you at home are taking notes. Uh, so that you feel better equipped to be able to understand all of this crazy jargon that we have in the industry, how it all interacts with one another, how it impacts each other, and how to best position yourself as a passive investor, um, you know, to minimize your risk as much as possible. So now enough with the doom and the gloom, right? Let's talk about the fun things. So there is still a lot of capital out there, and there are still very good deals to be found. There's a lot of opportunity that I'm sure is also going to come up on the map very soon, but I know there's already good deals on the map too, because we currently have one under uh, under contract. So um, let's talk about what, in your opinion, do you consider to be the most opportune markets to be investing in right now? Before opportune markets, I would tell you that if you can assume debt that has a good runaway of IO and was written uh, last year or year before, that's just going to pop because those rates are spectacular. And the IO period gives you the runway. So if you can go into a deal that took 10-year money in 2021, 2022, assume that loan, you're golden, right? That's kind of the best thing to be able to do. But on top of that, I think you've got to kind of change your mindset and say, where is the opportunity for me to make money in this market? And I would say that I, what I'm seeing is I'm seeing the most amount of pain is with the merchant builders, the guys that built, there's 700,000 new units coming online. It's not even close to what's needed. According to National Multi-Housing, 
they we need 4.3 million dollars sorry 4.3 million new units for 2023 so $700,000 is barely uh, uh, a, a, a barely a drop in the bucket but the guys that built all these multifamily buildings they all take variable floating rate to construction loans because there are no fixed construction loans they just it just doesn't exist it's all floating rate loans so 2 years ago they borrowed their money they started building their property Again, they bought it on SOFA. SOFA was at 10 basis points. SOFA's gone up 470 basis points. So now their, their, their loan was, let's say, 5% all in. They're now Their loan today is 9%, and they're choking. So these guys need to get out. So I think there's a tremendous opportunity to buy new-built multi direct from, obviously through brokerage, but direct from the merchant builders because they need to move quicker. And you're seeing this in certain markets. The price per unit in in say an Austin has gone down tremendously. And Austin's still one of the hottest markets in America, right? So the fundamentals of the market hasn't changed. Elon Musk is still there. Kids want to be in Austin. The only thing that's happened is that the merchant builders are being choked by the high cost of borrowing of their construction loan. Secondly, I think we, we got too excited over explosive rent growth during COVID, right? Especially in certain places, especially in the Sun Belt, we saw explosive rental growth in, in, in Tampa, 19% rental growth. And everyone dived into those markets. And that is not sustainable. As we've seen, rental growth is coming way, way in. It's nowhere near the 18%. So go to markets where it's slow and steady and just ticks over nicely, keeps on rising, five, six, seven, eight percent And I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring up a statistic that was printed yesterday about US apartment rent growth leaders. This was real page. And I think you'll be very surprised by this. So number one, obviously, is Miami, Florida. We know what's happening in Miami. Miami's on fire. They're getting 8.1% of effective rents on new leases, meaning that if a lease is signed today, it, it's 8.1% more expensive than it was last year. So we got 8.1% growth in Miami. That's not such a shocker. But the shocker is the next few numbers. These are the places with the greatest rental growth in the market today. Number two, northern New Jersey, 7.9. Cincinnati, Ohio, 7.9. Indianapolis, 7.8. Columbus, Ohio, 6.7. Kansas City, St. Louis, Chicago. So wow. what does that tell you? Isn't that, isn't that funny? You, things you would never think about. You'd think, you'd think Carolinas. You'd think Atlanta. You'd think Texas. But it's not because... Those markets, though those markets are spectacular markets, don't get me wrong, those markets, they got very hot. So they flew up very high, and now they're gonna have to deal with this coming in line with everybody else. But the Midwest never went through the roof. They didn't get the same hullabaloo and same buzz that a Carolina's got. They just kept on ticking away nicely, nicely, nicely. And so I think there's tremendous opportunities in those markets. I love the Columbus market. I love the Indianapolis market. I love the Lexington, Kentucky market. I think there's great value and they're often overlooked for people buying in the sexier uh, other regions where they think it's, it's more attractive and, and nice. Don't sleep on those markets. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. I will say, <clears throat> excuse me, I will say just as a counterpoint, that I think also the data can sometimes be a little bit misleading because when we're looking for markets that really didn't have any kind of significant growth in comparison to say some of those Sunbelt markets that had astronomical growth, the reality is 
We're not seeing those markets coming up, you know, in these types of tables any longer because they were at, say, 15, 18, 20 percent. And now they're actually decreasing. So they're not going to end up, you know, in these type of data points any longer. But they may very well still be increasing rents and seeing rent growth at six, seven or eight percent the same. Uh, It's just not technically growth. It's actually loss because it was so high to begin with. So I think it's really how you look at it, too. But but I I also think that in the terms of higher cap rate deals, you're seeing higher cap rate deals in these lower, less desirable markets, not because of anything's wrong with the fundamentals, just they're not as sexy as the summer markets. So you've got better cap rates in the Midwest and in Annapolis and Kentucky and so on and so forth. And then the Carolinas, people still haven't come to terms with the fact that a property last year would have traded a three cap. Now it's a trade close to a five cap. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason. But if you can find, you've got to just look. There's great deals everywhere. You've got to just do the work and look. But just in, in what I love, I kind of love this, this statistic of the, of the Sun Belt. That's kind of what I, of, of, the, of the Midwest. That's what I kind of love. And well, a, hidden nice. gem, a hidden gem, we'd say. I, you know, we are focused on the Sun Belt, so obviously I'm a little bit biased, but it is nice to see the poor mis- Midwest finally get some attention and some love, right? And I'm a huge fan of the, of the Sun Belt. I did, uh, not to toot my own horn, but we Newmark did the largest transaction, the, the largest transaction since uh, we did the Aragon portfolio, which was 14,000 apartments, $1.85 billion. Wow. We did, I, I did that transaction that was all, that was all, that was called the Sun Belt portfolio. So I love the Sun Belt. We, we just did a $200 million deal in Piedmont. Uh, we just closed that last week. We're doing a $460 million deal in Boca Raton. So don't get me wrong. I love the Sun Belt. Just if, as a tip, I would say the Midwest should not be slept on. Yeah, no, it's great advice. So first of all, congratulations too. That's massive kudos. I'm glad that you you took an opportunity to do away. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, Try to be humble. Try to be humble here. <laughs> Yeah, no, the Sun Belt has definitely been good to you. It's been good to us. It's been yeah. good to a lot of our investors. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's great to keep up to speed uh, with the, the varying markets. You know, that's for sure. So, all right. Great, uh, great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, before we wrap things up, I would like to take you through what I call the lightning round questions. Sure. So these are five questions that I ask all of our guests. Are you ready? Um, how, how, how short do the answers have to be? Ah, you know, we, we're flexible here. Okay. All right. Depends how good I, they I, are. I, I tend to talk a lot. So <laughs> I, I need to be told if the answer has to be short. <laughs> no, they don't have to be too long, but, um, you know, but don't feel like you can't expand upon them a little sure. bit. All right. So here we go. So first and foremost, uh, do you actually have a hobby? What do you do for fun? I hang out with my kids. Nice. I love that. How old are the kiddos? I've got a three-year-old and a six-year-old. I've got a six-year-old boy called Leo and a three-year-old girl called Ava. And in oh, my spare nice. time, I, that's that's the only thing I want to do is I want to be near my kids. That's awesome. And very fun age, too. They're not quite as fun at 13 and 16. No, that, no they, still, they still love me. They still <laughs> they still adore me and they still want to hang out with me. And my daughter, I always I compare it to a golden retriever. If I've been gone for five minutes or five hours, when I come back, the excitement is still the same level. <laughs> it's nice to be loved, right? For sure. All, all right. Now, what is one thing that people don't know about you? A little fun fact, if you will. I'm kind of an open book. Uh, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm very open and what you see is what you get. Uh, I wanted to be in politics many years ago. I wanted to be a history teacher, but that didn't really work out. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. That's a fun fact. I like it. 
All right. Now, what about as far as books? Uh, what book are you currently reading? Or is there any book that you would really recommend investors need to include in their library? So I don't really read uh, anything on kind of business minded. I read a lot of history and I'm reading, I'm, I'm in the middle of like four, I read lots of different books at the same time. I'm reading three, three different history books right now. It's on, uh, on my side table. I'm reading The Wandering Jew Returns. It's written in 1929 by a French author that went to investigate Jewish life in Eastern Europe. I'm reading, <laughs> I'm reading something about Arsenal Football Club, which is a football club in, in, in the UK. And I'm reading uh, a book about Franklin, Franklin uh, uh, Delano Roosevelt right now. Awesome. Well, there's a lot of uh, very important, you know, lessons to be gained from history. So I it's think it's only by knowing our history that we don't repeat the same mistakes going forward. So they say, yes, that's right. All right. Now, one of the things that we talk about here at Blue Lake is it's not just about money. You know, obviously, yes, we want to have profitable investments. We want to have strong returns, but it's really still about people, you know. And so one of our goals is to really help empower our investors to live an extraordinary life. So what would be your advice for living an extraordinary life? Have courage. Have courage to articulate what you want. Uh, I, I see this all the time that people hide, they're scared, they, they don't have the courage to say what needs to be said. Be brave. If someone, if you've done a deal and something isn't going right, just just be, be honest, say, I'm not happy. I want this to be happening this way. Just have the courage to articulate what you want. Don't hide. Excellent advice. I can actually say that I honestly did not really see my life come together the way I really wanted it to until I had the courage to admit how I really wanted my life to be. Yeah. Uh, great advice. All yeah. right. Now, last but not least, Henry, if people want to find you and get in touch, how can they? So on LinkedIn, my name is Henry Stimler. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Instagram as Henry Stimler. And then alternatively, you can send me an email at henry.stimler at nmrk.com. Awesome. All right. Well, Henry, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. And for those of you listening, I hope you found it really valuable and insightful. Please don't forget to like, rate, and review the show. Let us know more of what you'd like to hear. And in the meantime, be bold, be extraordinary, and keep moving forward. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.